These last weeks, Pastor Brian has been sharing uh, several stories from Scripture about the dirty job of obedience. Uh, today, we're going to discuss an amazing scene straight from Jesus' life, so I'm excited to share today. But before we read, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. I kind of want to catch you up because we're starting a little bit farther in the chapter. So here's what's going on. One of Jesus' 12 disciples that's been traveling around with him for three years, his name is Judas, he decided that Jesus was not moving this revolution along quick enough for him. So he would be the catalyst for action, so he sells Jesus out to be arrested. He's looking for a time when crowds are not present because the Jewish leaders were actually afraid of an uprising. At the same time Judas is plotting against Jesus, Jesus sends Peter and John ahead to prepare a place for all of them to have the Passover meal together. Jesus didn't advertise where they were eating or Judas might have set up an ambush there. During the Passover meal, Jesus urges and exemplifies servant leadership, a trait that was as uncommon then as it is now. During the Passover meal, the disciples start to have this conversation about who's the greatest. Can you imagine poor Jesus? He was like, oy vey, these people are not listening to me. Jesus lets Peter know he will deny him, and he lets all of them know that Satan will sift them, testing the disciples, hoping to break them spiritually. So that's kind of where we're at. That sets the scene, okay? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. Luke is in the second half of the Bible. It's called the New Testament. It's where Jesus is born, his life happens, and then the church happens, which is pretty cool. Luke chapter 22 um, this is actually the third gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are considered the gospels of the New Testament. So we're going to be at, at chapter 22. Chapter 22 will be the big number. And then we're starting at verse 39, which is the little number in the sentences, okay? <clears throat> then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and, it was, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Okay, so let's look at this together. We're starting at verse 39. Jesus and the remaining 11 disciples leave the upstairs room after the meal, and scripture says, and they went as usual to the Mount of Olives. So as usual, that's kind of interesting. This is a normal location for them to go and pray a place that Jesus would talk to his father. You know, sometimes they even camped out there. They would sleep there overnight. Jesus would go there for refuge and respite and rest. And on the Mount of Olives, they would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you're a note person like I am, there's sermon notes in your, bullet, or in, your, yeah, in your bulletin if you want to take notes. And this is the first blank. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, it translates from Hebrew to English as olive press. That's what Gethsemane means. What an appropriate place for him to, play, to pray because he's feeling all this pressure right now. He's literally being squeezed and crushed. So he's praying in the olive press. That makes perfect sense. 
Jesus instructs them to pray to not give into temptation. He acknowledged his sadness that he was struggling and he asked them to keep watch. He knew that they would be tempted and with temptation comes tests and trials and they needed to shore up strength to be ready. Prayer is the antidote that turns temptation from a trial to a test and with God's help we can successfully pass that test. So it says Jesus moves a stone's throw away from his guys to gain some privacy. It's obvious that he's really struggling. He's having a hard time. Our scripture today says he knelt down and prayed, but the original Greek would have said he collapsed in his anxiety and poured out his heart. That reads a little different than he knelt down to pray, doesn't it? And you can feel that. I certainly can relate with that. We know the characteristic of Jesus' walk was his relationship with his father. Number one, Jesus spent large amounts of quality time alone with his father. Number two, he did only what he observed his father doing. Three, he came to conclusions only through consultation with his father. And four, he spoke only what he heard his father guiding him to speak. And it's in the midst of that relationship that we see Jesus literally collapse to the ground to pour out his concerns to his father. He knew his father as his mentor and his encourager and his strengthener, and that's who he was going to. And you know what? Even Jesus had sleepless nights. He was dealing with all kinds of feelings and emotions, confusion and fear and anger and loneliness and doubt. Historians estimate three hours of intense, agonizing prayer passed. Three hours. We know that Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. He was in such a condition mentally that he actually asked his father to consider possibilities other than the cross. Think about Jesus in such mental turmoil and emotional pain. How did he, being 100% God and 100% man, become so troubled? Verse 42 says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So cup of suffering, what does that mean? From the Old Testament, the cup was the full, undiluted wrath of God towards human sin. The cup contains God's righteous fury against all the sins for all the world for all time. Can you imagine being judged for every sin of every person who ever lived. And if Jesus doesn't drink this cup, then you and me, we remain in our sin forever. And you know what? Jesus had options. He could have rebelled and fled. He could have withdrawn with his disciples. He could have cut a deal with Pilate and influenced the Roman Empire. He could have conspired with the Jewish leaders or he could have called down a miracle to save him. However... He said, I will not fight or run or deal or dazzle. I will die. The real messianic calling was not to conquer other people, but to die for them. And so he did. Verse 43, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Can you picture this scene? I recently have been reading a book called Walk With Me by Hal Perkins, and he described it this way. Jesus was desperate. 
He looked up to his father and said, Father, do I have to do this? And then there was silence. Today we're reading from Luke, but the Gospels record him praying this prayer three times over three long hours. And when I'm desperate, I pray that way sometimes too, don't you? Where you say the same thing over and over and over again. He prays, do I have to go to the cross? Is there any other way that we could get this done? And I picture God the Father speaking back to Jesus, and this is what he says. I put it in your notes because I think it's so important for us to recognize. It's all from Scripture. If you go back and look at Scripture, what did God have to say about Jesus? This is what he says. He says, my son, I am infinitely pleased with you. That's from Matthew 3.17. And you know what was happening there? Jesus was being baptized, and he had not done a single thing yet. Not one thing. And he said, my son, I am infinitely pleased with you. You have fulfilled your mission perfectly. You sacrificed all of your privilege and powers as God. You were made like your brothers. That's us in every way. You were dramatically tempted to use your relationship with me to your advantage, yet you would not. That's when he was being tempted by Satan. You have been perfect. Oh, I wish you could feel the depths of my joy and delight in you. Into Jesus' heart, filled with dread, his father pours heart-renewing, energy-generating truth. Can you feel that? Because you know what? Sometimes our lives can be difficult. Things can be happening to us that make things not go very well. We can have decisions that we have to make. We can have situations that we're in. And all of those things come together and cause our hearts to be hot, to burn. You're supposed to be burning more. Burn. Don't you love fire? Sometimes sermons just need fire. Can you guys see the fire? Because it's exciting. All right. <laughs> Sometimes, do you feel this way? Sometimes do you feel inside, I'm trying to make this decision, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I don't know what to do. And it makes you hot inside, it makes you burn inside. I think that's how Jesus was feeling. Is there any other way, Lord? Is there anything else that we could do? It's okay, Mom, I'm going to get it. <laughs> and so God comes along, and with his cooling presence, he changes our heart just like he did for Jesus. My brother was a bit of a pyro, so it makes my mom nervous sometimes. <laughs> As I picture Jesus in the garden, I hear God the Father whispering gently and compassionately to Jesus' pained, hot heart. I see those who have given over their hearts to evil to plot against you. But remember that as I love you, I love them. Though I do not want you to suffer temporarily, I do not want them to suffer eternally. I want them to be with us forever. I love you and I'm delighted with you, but I love them and my heart is broken for them. How delighted I would be if they would change their minds about us. How I long for them to relate to me from their hearts. I can see Father God after listening to the pain-filled heart of his son for three hours, now sensitively filling his son's poured out heart with a father's thoughts. Though not as intense, I think that dialogue probably happened between them over and over again. That night in Gethsemane, Father God helped Jesus see again 
the vision they shared and affirmed as he faced the cross. My son, I hear your cries, and I so desire to deliver you. I ache for you. This will be terrible for both of us. But your blood will become the blood of a new covenant that will allow all people, regardless of their sins, to be fully and freely forgiven and enter into relationship with us. I love you. I love the world. But you are free to choose. You know, I never once thought about that. That Jesus had free will to choose in the garden what he was going to do. It's one thing to make a request of a father and for the father to make the decision. It's another thing for a father in love and wisdom to hand that hard choice back to the son. Jesus looking at the cross and shuddering. Jesus looking upward at his father and feeling loved and valued. Jesus observing his disciples sleeping despite his plea for support, recognizing they were worn out. Jesus looking at the cross again, mentally anticipating his arrest and his trial and his separation from his father. He was about to experience something he had never experienced before, total separation. He has never experienced anything other than intimacy, close, deep love with his father. Here he is, 100% human in his stress and anxiety, and it almost crushes him. He could barely handle the weight of what was about to happen. So God dispatches an angel to come and heal him and to offer comfort. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. It makes sense, doesn't it? Father God is a triune God, spirit, soul, body, just like us. Our soul is made up of our mind and our emotions and our will, and our will is defined as our desire. And at the garden, the son's will and the father's will were not the same. They were not the same. Jesus wasn't only thinking about thorns and nails and physical torture. His main fear was separation from his father. Because he was to be the sin offering for us, he and his father would have to be separated. So how is that going to feel? As Jesus lingered in, in his father's presence, compassion for his disciples and his enemies and for every person's eternal well-being, that's all of us, flowed through his spirit-led heart. He looked forward to millions of redeemed ones, joyfully singing and dancing, experiencing the goodness and the glory of God. Gradually, the emotional pain subsided, no more shuddering, and the blood-like sweat dried. No longer did Jesus pray, let this cup pass from me. Now, with spirit-strengthened resolve, Jesus speaks, not my will, but yours be done. And this was the last temptation of Jesus Christ, to abandon his Father's will for his own will. I think the purpose of the garden was absolute surrender. The perfectly wise father only influenced. He did not control his son in this crucial moment. And the result, Jesus saw and chose the father's will. Our heavenly father has declared that we are free. And we have no choice but to make choices. If Jesus had no choice, he would not have been like us, nor would he have represented us. Based on what we know about Jesus' relationship with his father, 
I believe that in Jesus' hour of supreme need, he poured out his heart to his listening father. And in response, the father planted good seed into an open heart and reinforced the son's determination to complete his mission. So Jesus began his Gethsemane prayer in agony, and he finished it with clarity. So what happened? What brought about this change? Number one, he was overwhelmed to the point of death. The son of God poured out his heart to his father. His wise father patiently listened and compassionately responded. And the son was resolved and strengthened with holy, courageous obedience to embrace the cross. Do you feel the heart of the father for Jesus? Do you feel the heart of the father for all of us? Can you imagine the tearing and ripping of his heart as he simultaneously observed Jesus' pain and all of our need? Do you feel the heart of Jesus for his father? Do you feel Jesus' heart for us? Do you feel the terrible tension of his heart ripped apart by this agonizing decision, torn by dread of the ultimate suffering on one side and profound love for his father and all of us on the other side? So now Jesus invites us to be involved in this eternal mission that he and his father share, this dirty job. When we realize the cost and ask him, should we sacrifice? Should we suffer? He meets us in our Gethsemane and he helps us see the eternal benefits to everyone involved. There he helps us say, not my will, but yours be done. In the New Living Translation, which is what we read today, it reads, I want your will to be done, not mine. This is a prayer of resignation. Yield as God yields. Let it be as God wills, and God will will it for our best. Be perfectly content to leave the result of your prayer in his hands, the one who knows what to give, how to give, when to give, and also when to withhold. His is a persevering prayer. The disciples had failed. Jesus, after winning the victory over himself, returned to them only to find them fast asleep, exhausted from sorrow. The impact of Jesus' own agony of heart transmitted itself to them. And while they barely fully realized the implications, they knew he was soon going to be arrested. And the full extent of that realization was just wearing them down. On the Mount of Olives, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was honest and humble and transparent, and vulnerable, and persistent, and obedient, and resolved. All markings of this dirty job of helping other people be reconciled to Father God. Jesus had free will in his decision, and we have free will in our decision. I want your will to be done, not mine. Now this is different than accepting Jesus as your Savior. You know that, right? Because Jesus as our savior, we recognize that he laid down his life, not only in the garden, but on the cross. He saved us from our sins with his action and his power. I want your will to be done, not mine, is accepting him not only as savior, but as Lord of your life. It's saying, I no longer want to play tug of war with my life anymore. I want your way, God. It's putting God, the Father's will, above our own just like Jesus did. Paul David Tripp wrote, 
our struggle with sin is so deep that it wasn't enough for God to forgive us, so he unzipped us and got inside us by his Holy Spirit. One of my favorite songs is called Holy Spirit, and here's the lyrics. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Our struggle with sin is so deep that it wasn't enough for God to forgive us, so he unzipped us and got inside us with his Holy Spirit. Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. So I wonder, is there room in your heart for the Holy Spirit to come and do his work? So I think about, got this pillow, unzip it, and if this was my heart, I have to make some room in there for him. The work that he had to do was more than just forgiving my sins, so he unzipped me and put his Holy Spirit inside of me, but there's gotta be space, right? So I think about my shame. My shame is undone. He pulls it right out of me. My fear is undone. My thoughts about my own future. Sorry. I look at these people right here. These are some of my favorite people in our church. These refuge students, and they have hopes about their future. Could they give those to God? My weaknesses are undone. My what did I say? Shame and fear. You know what? You see what I'm getting at? <laughs> all that is undone, right? And so all of a sudden now, there's some space here. There's some space when I just let Jesus take it all and he undoes it. And now I'm unzipped and he can fit right inside because it wasn't enough just to forgive my sins. <laughs> That's the kind of God we serve. Is that the kind that you serve? That he's more than a savior. He wants to be the Lord of our life. Have you let him unzip you? You know, some of us carry our shame around in nice little packages, don't we? And it's zipped tight, maybe with a lock on it. Some of us carry our fear around. Some of us carry our strengths around, even our weaknesses our hopes and dreams of our future, and we say, this is ours. Let's zip tight. This is what I'm carrying around. Where God says, man, if you'd unzip that and make some space for me, boy, I could do something really neat in your life. And I could give you hope about your future if there was just some space for me. Just some space. Our struggle with sin is so deep that it wasn't enough for God to forgive us. So he unzipped us and got inside by his Holy Spirit. My friend shared that with me and it's wrecked me all week long. <laughs> because at one point in my life I did unzip and I let God have all of that. And you know that's a fight for me because at different times in my life there hasn't been space again. 
I don't know about you, but I can fill my space up with all kinds of stuff. Lord, you can have that space, you can have that room, but now I'm just going to go ahead and take this back because I like how that feels over there and then just going to need some space over here. I'll just take care of that. Do you ever do that? Where you take stuff back? You've given him room and then you take stuff back. So maybe this sermon is just for me today and you know what? That's okay. <laughs> maybe that quote that's been wrecking me all week is okay just for me, but I think it might be for somebody else too. So you think about the forgiveness that you've accepted and be grateful for that. But you also think about, have I ever unzipped and given the Holy Spirit room by giving him my shame and my fear? So we're going to pray. Daddy, I thank you for the opportunity to teach today. I thank you, Lord, that at one point in my life, your spirit spoke to mine so clearly that I gave you my sins. And I said, Lord, will you forgive me? And according to scripture, you say, you will. And so you did. And I thank you for it. A little later down my Jesus journey, I figured out that you might want to have more of me than just my sin. And so I gave you my future and I gave you my finances, and I gave you who I was dating, and I gave you what I was going to do with my life. And God, I thank you that you, because of me making space like that, you crawled right in. <laughs> Your Holy Spirit has been so near, and I thank you, God. But I also repent of the times when I've stuffed my own stuff back in your space. I've done that sometimes unknowingly and I've done sometimes just blatant <laughs> where I wanted that space back for myself. And so, Lord, I repent of those times and I ask you to forgive me. But I wonder, God, right now, if there might be somebody in this room who would say, I thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness, but I need for you to unzip me and crawl right in. <laughs> I need for you not only to become my savior, I need for you to become my Lord. And what we've seen, what Jesus did in that garden where he fought and he wrestled with you and he prayed and he cried and he was in great anxiety and anguish about what he was going to have to face next. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And so today I pray that somebody in this room, somebody watching online might say, not my will, but yours, Lord. And they might allow their heart to be unzipped and stuff to be pulled out, their shame and their regret and their fear to be pulled out of their heart so that there could be space for the healing presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you for how you love us and how you know us each so uniquely. Because my fear and my shame doesn't match the person sitting next to me. They have their own but you're big enough for all of it. <laughs> so thank you, God. We love you today. We're trying awful hard to live how you'd like for us to live, and we thank you for your help with that and how you're encouraging us and maneuvering us through life. And sometimes when we think that we've got it all together, help us to remember this scene from the garden where your very own son, literally 100% God and 100% man, said, I'm not quite sure I want to do this. <laughs> 
Help us to remember that it's time for us to pray and it's time for us to put our will under yours. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the privilege today of taking communion together. Um, and our friend, Reverend Ben Brown, is going to come and he's going to lead in communion. And then I'm so privileged that our refuge students are going to serve us today in communion. You guys can come now. Jesus said, Father, if there be any way that this cup of suffering could pass, let it be. And the older I get, the more that I'm convinced that all of life comes down to one question. question that all of us who have ever existed will have to answer is God good and there are circumstances and there are seasons within our life that are unavoidable that we will experience and they will encourage us and tempt us to believe that God is not good. And when Jesus says, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life, I think what he's saying is, will you believe that God is good? And will you believe that the way you experience God's goodness is not by having every season or circumstance in this life go perfect for you, but rather will you believe in the person of Jesus Christ and through the person of Jesus Christ experience God's goodness. I also believe that these cups of suffering are not intended to be loved or enjoyed. That is not God's desire or plan. That is not God's purpose in this. Jesus himself did not want the cup of suffering. Jesus's God's point was demonstrated in Jesus when Jesus said, Father, though I don't want this cup, I am willing to abandon my will and to take your will because I trust that you are good.
Faith is not somehow getting to the point where you just love suffering. Faith is saying, in the midst of these difficult circumstances or seasons, I'm still going to believe that God is good. Boy, I may not be very good at drinking this cup. I may spill it all over the place. But I will always believe that God is good and he has my best interest. And this cup and this bread that we take is a tangible reminder for us that God is good. And that all who come to Christ can experience God's goodness. You want to know if you're welcome at this table? Will you come to Jesus Christ and believe that through Him you can experience God's goodness? If that's you, then not only are you welcome at this table, but God says, you are the apple of my eye. entire world but only those who will come to Christ will experience its blessing will you come to Christ today and through Jesus experience that God is good for on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took this bread and after giving thanks he broke it And then he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, take this bread and eat it all of you. For this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant that is given to you through the shedding of my blood for the remission of sin. Drink from it, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And church, that finish line is coming day by day, day by day, day by day. That finish line is coming and Jesus Christ is returning. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? And if you're willing to recognize that you are at the here place in what I'm about to say. Would you extend your hands to receive this benediction? Holy Spirit, 
you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. We want your will to be done, Lord, not ours. Amen. Thank you for coming to church today. It's wonderful to see all of you.